And, you know, I think that one of the things that it did for me, I remember I came back when I came back from the experience, I was on campus. I went to a small liberal arts school with like not even 2000 people, which was really big coming from an all girls Catholic school where I had 130 people in my graduating class. But I remember I saw someone walking around campus looking confused and I asked him if he needed help. And he started to speak in kind of broken English, and I could tell it was really a struggle. And so in that moment, I had just come, come back from being away. I was not fluent in Spanish, but I spoke like well enough to be able to have a conversation, at least at a basic level. And I just started speaking in Spanish, and I just saw his, his face like light up and relax. <laughs> Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Rachel Druckenmiller says for much of her life, she silenced herself. She describes herself as an overachiever, the good girl. She says, I only let people see the put together version of who I was. When I needed help, I kept quiet because I didn't want anyone to think I could handle it or that I was inadequate or incompetent in any way. Rachel is a singer who loved to sing and write but didn't share her voice publicly because she was afraid of judgment, rejection or being embarrassed. She silenced so much of her joy for the sake of hustling to get ahead. She says it was like she was living her life on mute. Today, Rachel has been recognised as the number one health promotion professional in the United States in 2015. She's a 40 under 40 game changer recognised by the Workforce magazine in 2019 and one of the Daily Record's leading women of 2020. Rachel is a natural thought leader in the field of well-being and employee engagement. She has worked with dozens of organisations including Deloitte, Citizens Bank, Junior Achievement and the American Heart Foundation. So today I am blessed to be here with Rachel Druckenmiller and there are a number of different kind of points of connection that I think we have but I'm just going to start by reading something off her website because when I was preparing for this uh, conversation I just thought you know I wish I'd written this stuff (laughs) and Rachel says I live for watching people come alive and awaken to what's possible in their lives. And then as she's kind of explaining her journey to doing some of this work, Rachel says, for much of my life, I silenced myself. It's like I was living my life on mute. And your community is called Unmuted, isn't it, Rachel? Yes. (laughs) So welcome, Rachel. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, What I would love to, to do is to begin by asking you, how did you unmute yourself? Hmm. 
Uh, well, it's been over the course. It's funny. I've had a lot of people ask, you know, like, when was the moment, you know, like when was the moment that suddenly you were muted and then you were unmuted? Um, for me, I think of it like I loved the movie Wizard of Oz growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think of it almost as this like sepia toned world, right, that we exist in. And then there's this moment where we open the door and like outside is all this vibrant and alive mm -hmm. um, and joyful um, color, you know. And for me, a lot of my childhood, I spent just being very kind of reserved and timid and shy and guarded, and which I don't think is an uncommon experience. I just didn't really feel safe to be myself. And then it was over, a, I'd say like over a series of experiences that I started to kind of, I don't know, come out of my shell a bit. And I'd say a couple of those catalytic moments were one, when I was in college, I studied abroad in Spain for a semester, wow. which, oh my gosh, is, have you been to Spain? I've been to Barcelona and to, gosh, um, Seville and a couple of other places and, and um, it's Andalusia and stuff. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yes. That is where I lived. Andalusia. I lived in Granada. Um <sighs> And it was just, it was beautiful. And I was terrified to go, you know, I'd never been outside of the United States. I live on the East coast and no one in my family had been outside of the United States, um, aside from Canada. And so it was this experience of being completely immersed in a place where I didn't know people. I didn't really know the language all that well. And I had no choice, but to become a bit more outgoing and to be a bit less timid and reserved just to be able to get through it, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I came back from that experience and I just had kind of like a renewed outlook on, I don't know, on living. And, and that was what kind of propelled me to try out for a solo and, and the gospel choir, which I had been in previously, but no auditions. So it was a very safe <laughs> place for me to sing. And like that was the beginning of it. And then the singing brought me into connection and relationship with the person I've now been um, with for 15 years, married to for 10 and it was a series of these little unfoldings of even even as I was in my career of trying things like like speaking for the first time, you know, like speaking at an organization or to a group of um, you know, leaders at a company and realizing like, I, I kind of like this. I don't feel super confident about it, but I kind of like it. And then just and more and more and more reps of doing that, um, I think, really, really helped me. And I think for me, the kind of the ultimate unmuting, the most recent really came when I was actually at a time where I was actually silenced and I burned out and got mono um, Epstein-Barr virus uh, four and a half years ago. Gosh. And I completely lost my voice for a period of time, which had happened before. And I was just in this place of silence and stillness where I felt so helpless and I felt so bottomed out. And I realized the part of me that I'd probably been muting the most was my ability to ask for help and to admit to people that I did not in fact have it all together and that I was having a hard time. And starting to ask for help and realizing that people accepted me in the midst of it and were more than willing. They were more than willing to help. They, they, they wanted to see me thrive. They didn't want to see me in a place of suffering. But that started to build this courage in me to use my voice more to ask for those things. And um, to, to share my story of, of the different health challenges I'd been through and, and to be honest about how I got to burnout that, you know, had 
put so much of my value and achievement and whether or not I impressed people. And that got me to the place of totally bottoming out. So for me, it's been this gradual journey of unmuting in terms of my experience of the world, um, unmuting my palate, even when I was in Spain, unmuting my voice through singing and muting my voice in my career. And even in my, even in my marriage, my husband and I have done a lot of work to really learn how to communicate and create safe spaces with each other. So it's been <laughs> like a 20 year journey, I feel like, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning how to be more of myself in the midst of this. Gosh, I, I don't actually know where to begin because <laughs> there's just so many different kind of pieces in there. And and first, I want to honor you for the journey that you've been on because it can't have been easy. Um, I hear that you've done a lot of work in that story and um, it takes courage and bravery to do that. So thank you for doing your work so that you can help others to unmute themselves. And um, and I and many many points of connection. Um, one that I feel compelled to share is is when you describe the kind of leaving the U.S. and and kind of going to Spain because you'd never left the states before. It's funny because um, I I actually went to New York in the early 1990s, and I hadn't been back to the U.S. until I think it was 2014 2015, and um, my journey to go back to the US was because um, I'm in Brendan Bouchard's community and he came over to London, the only ever experts academy that he's done outside the US. I went to that and it kind of um, compelled me to join and become a high performance coach with him. But in order to do that, I had to fly to the US. And so can you imagine like, even though I'd been to the States, because it was now post 9-11, the world was so different, that the kind of internal journey that I had to go on, and then all the noises of the people around me, because I've got half the people saying, you're insane. <laughs> and I've got the other half of the people saying, it's going to be okay. And I don't know what to listen to. And I think what 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 I did, and, and I'd love to hear about how you um, navigated that part of your life but for me I just thought I'm going to listen to my intuition I'm going to lean into the bits that I know and whatever happens it will be okay yeah it will and how was it how was it once you landed again for the first time in over 20 years yeah of course it was okay right? like <laughs> I, I live to tell the tale and I've been back I, in fact actually up till the pandemic I was going back and forth to the USA kind of maybe every four to six weeks oh um, wow but every time there is still that thing um and I and I think for me um some of my most profound moments have been where I've stood at immigration and kind of been looking and thinking oh my god I hope I don't get that person I hope I get this person and then just thinking you know whatever happens it will be and there have been people that have just felt completely triggered by me and mm -hmm. um, which is kind of I understand given some of the global rhetoric that's happening but there was one time where um, I met I, I felt really kind of um, uncomfortable about this particular trip anyway I landed um got to the immigration counter, handed over my passport, and the guy just looks up at me and says, assalamu alaikum. And I was like, huh? Like, that's not part of your script. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And we just then had this really incredible conversation. I mean, I can still see his face, you know, just about his lived experience and the things that he was doing and about how he was homeschooled and we were homeschooling our kids and all of that. And and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the person, you know. And so, yeah, I've I've had both incredible experiences like that, but also uh, ones that have just been a little bit, you know, they could have done with a bit more training, let's say. Bit more kindness and empathy yeah yeah indeed so so how did you kind of deal with all of that that stuff that was going on for you because you know what you're describing may feel so easy for some of the listeners but actually I know from personally and also from having conversations um you know America is a massive massive country in in that just the United States itself is like a continent and I I view every state as like a different country in some ways. And so to go from the US to Europe actually requires some level of courage. It's easy, but it still requires courage. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest part for me was I'm such a homebody, a creature of habit. I literally lived in the same house my whole life. We never moved I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I was in first to eighth grade at the same place, high school for the same place. Like I was just very displaced in my life. Like I had a lot of consistency. And so that familiarity gave me a sense of comfort. And so the idea of flying, you know, across the ocean and being, you know, by myself, even though I wasn't really alone, but not with anyone that I really knew well. Um, I did have a friend in Madrid at the time and then another woman in my um, college who was in Granada the same time as me. So I did at least know two other people, but I didn't see them like frequently. And I kept journals. Actually, I have two journals from when I went to Spain and I, and I, you know, filled them. And sometimes I I would, I would find myself alternating between writing in Spanish and English. Um, And so I actually have a kind of this, this history, almost the snapshots of what that experience was like for me, because I consistently journaled while I was there. And, you know, I think that one of the things that it did for me, I remember I came back when I came back from the experience, I was on campus. I went to a small liberal arts school with like not even 2000 people, which was really big coming from an all girls Catholic school where I had 130 people in my graduating class. But I remember I saw someone walking around campus looking confused and I asked him if he needed help. And he started to speak in kind of broken English and I could tell it was really a struggle. And so in that moment, I had just come, come back from being away. I was not fluent in Spanish, but I spoke like well enough to be able to have a conversation at least at a basic level. And I just started speaking in Spanish and I just saw his, his face like light up and relax of like, Oh my goodness, someone understands me. Just that, that universal need we have to feel seen, heard and understood. Like I got to, give him that experience. And so many people, so many people gave me that experience when I was in Spain because I was not fluent in Spanish. And I, and there were some people there that were, some people in our program were fluent in Spanish. So we'd kind of lean on them to be like, all right, help (laughs) us communicate. Um, And I remember I lived with an older, older woman and her granddaughter in a homestay and they did not speak really any English. Talk about immersion. And I remember there was a guy that I really liked back at school. And I was really devastated when I found out he was hanging out with some other girl. He was supposed to wait for me to come back and he didn't. And I just remember how devastated I ran home crying. Cause I found out at like an internet cafe that 
we were not going to be a thing. And I came home and I tried to explain this to my senora. (laughs) And I was like, well, he's, he's like a boyfriend, but he's not my boyfriend. He's a friend. He's a friend. And I was like, why am I justifiably so upset about this? Cause I'm not even actually dating him. And she just looked at me and, and was like, you know, like, Oh, like, you know, there are many men in Spain. Like, don't worry. There are many men. I was like, that's not what I want to hear right now. (laughs) But it was just, you know, I think we appreciate feeling understood that much more when we have an experience of struggling to feel understood. Mm. And so I feel like one of the things that that experience unlocked in me, one is just this desire to kind of explore, which I never really had much of before. And to try new things, which I was previously, previously terrified of doing. Like I told them I was allergic to seafood, which was not true. You probably shouldn't tell people you're allergic to seafood if you're not. But I was so afraid of trying certain things that I just told them, oh, I'm allergic. I can't have it. And I mean, like literally my food horizons expanded. I had, I, we went, you know, all over Southern and central Spain. We went to Belgium, we went to Portugal, and I just got to experience this newness, this novelty Mm -hmm. of other cultures that I had previously absolutely no experience of. And it it really woke something up in me and just made me feel more alive and also have more empathy and compassion for people who are different than me. Cause I felt what it felt like to be different. I felt what it felt like to be an outsider, to not speak the language, to not understand the traditions and the customs And it was uncomfortable a lot, but Mm. it was such a beneficial, one of the best things I've ever done in my life was that experience. Mm. And I love how you described it because it is leaning into that kind of discomfort of not knowing how to operate is, is a hard thing to do. But when you allow yourself to be in that space, you do really learn and get so much richness and and can offer so many gifts to others who don't even know that that what you're about to give them is something to appreciate you know yeah i'd i'd love to ask you what was the best experience that you had in the time that you spent in spain um there were so many i mean the weather was like san diego i mean it was 70 oh. degrees and blue skies and no humidity and it didn't even rain for like 2 months i mean it was just the weather was exquisite. I mean, I remember that distinctly. Um, I remember, um, gosh, we, the markets are incredible. So the markets in Granada, um, are just, they're exquisite. Um, there's a lot of, um, Islamic influence because it's so close to like Northern Africa being in Southern Spain. Mm. And so the jewelry and the pashminas and even the food, like I, I, I had never been in the midst of something that was just so um, like rich. I don't know how else to explain it, but it was, mm. it, I, it was so fun to like explore these places and um, just the freedom. I think more than anything, just the freedom I had to explore. We lived right. We were near the Alhambra, um, that palace, which is just, I mean, to have that be your view on the way of walking to school, get out of here. (laughs) I want to go to that school. (laughs) 
Like it was, oh, I'll tell you, you know what it was now that I'm talking through it. One of my favorite experiences, one of my most memorable was we were in Spain during the American Thanksgiving. And it was weird because I was in school on Thanksgiving. And I was like, this is so strange because usually it's a holiday in the States and you're off. And I'll never forget, we were taken as a group of students to a Mexican restaurant in Spain and our program had reached out to people's parents to get some traditional Thanksgiving recipes and had made for us their version, their interpretation of an American Thanksgiving at a Mexican restaurant in Spain. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, was it good? They sure, it was okay. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same, but just it's the most memorable Thanksgiving I've ever had. Like, I still, I still remember it, even though it was... 17 years ago yeah and what a touching thing to do right like you know just to reach out and ask for the recipes and to try and make it as much of a um an experience from home as they could yeah mm, I love that and and I, I I'm lucky in that I went to to Cordoba and to Andalusia and have been to the Alhambra it, it seems like a lifetime ago because my kids were little then um actually I think I was pregnant with my son when we went. Oh. Yeah, so it's like 15 years ago. <laughs> we just missed each other. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was there in 2004. Gosh, I can't remember exactly when I went. I only went for two or three weeks, but it was around, okay. well, I can't, it was around then. So, yeah, we must have literally just missed each other. But there is something magical in that piece there because I find sometimes I connect with people and we have a connection but um, I just miss them. And then I find them later on in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know why I like you, but I do. <laughs> um, there was a couple of other things um, in your story and in the things that you've shared that I, I'd love to just go a little bit deeper on. Um, and one of the other kind of points of connection that we have is that that we've both been through quite challenging car accidents Mine was 20-ish years ago. Yours was much more recently. Um, and you, you, for me, you were able to come out of that kind of quite quickly. It took me more than a decade to unpack mine. And, and I'd love to know, what was the biggest lesson that you had in your recovery from the accident? Um, well, I would say this was, yeah, May 3rd of 2020. So about six weeks into the lockdown in the States, I was hit by a pickup truck while I was running with my husband and had a, um, a back fracture. And it was right around the time that we met mm -hmm. virtually through exchange. Um, and I think a couple things. One, I think the experience of going through mono in 2017 and learning then about the importance of asking people for help and not assuming that because I did that, I was a burden to them. Like I had learned that asking for help does not make you a burden and that receiving help from somebody else is basically, I like to reframe receiving help as receiving love and support. Because sometimes mm -hmm. receiving help makes us feel, oh, I'm, I'm needy. Well, what's wrong with having needs? Everybody has needs, okay? But the idea of reframing it as I'm not receiving help, people want to love and support you. Can you receive that? And because I learned that then, when this accident happened 
And I had someone reach out to me the day after the accident who I was speaking on a panel with about virtual employee engagement. We'd never met. We maybe met in person sort of in passing. She worked for a competitor of my former employer. So I sort of always kept a bit of my distance. Um, But she reached out to me the day after the accident, after finding out and said, um, I would love to set up a meal train for you and your husband and have meals dropped off or gift cards sent to you. And my initial reaction was what a lot of us, I think, do, which was like, we're fine. Like, we'll be okay. Like, financially, we can handle it. My husband, it's fine. He can just do everything. <laughs> like, he's very capable and competent. And like, we'll be okay. That was my first thought. Because I was like, I don't want to burden her, even though she's the one that offered. Mm. And very quickly, I realized what a ridiculous <laughs> what a ridiculous thought that was as I'm standing there, like, in a back brace. I can't, like no bending, lifting, or twisting. And I feel pretty wiped and in pain. And I said, I would love that. That'd be fantastic. And so that night we spent 45 minutes on the phone. She set up the whole thing. She said, what are any dietary preferences? What are your favorite places? I mean, she just filled the whole thing out. And she said, my husband and I want to bring you your first meal. Tell us your favorite restaurant. And it's sometimes like being flooded by someone's generosity like that when you don't think you're worthy of having other people fuss over you Mm. is very humbling and uncomfortable, but also very healing because for all the times before when I've said no to people helping because I'm self-sufficient and I can handle it myself, I robbed those people of the opportunity to have that filled up feeling that we have when we do something kind for somebody who is in some kind of a place of need. And that was one of the, one of the gifts from the very beginning of that experience of just having people reach out and pour out and send me like, you know, coloring books to color in and cards and soup in the mail. I mean, like, you know, there were so many things or teas. People just were so generous um, with us and with check-ins and with phone calls and text messages and, Many people that I only know through, like, virtually, people I've never even met before. And I just felt so supported. And and so given the experience of literally having been knocked down, I would say one of the things that I've learned is that it's okay when we feel knocked down to kind of pull up on other people to help ourselves get our footing again. Mm. Sometimes we can't do it by ourselves. Like, and it's, and it's okay to lean on and draw on the strength of other people and to just let people, let people love you and to not push them away when they try to do that. And in the midst of all this experience, I'd say one of the greatest gifts that I then got to share was how much I just gave myself permission to feel through the whole thing. I didn't try to expedite. I usually am someone who's like, all right, timeline, let's, let's go. Let's get this <laughs> over with. Moving on. Next. You know, like very <laughs> high achievement. Yeah, so much like for real, you know. <laughs> we have things to do, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and it was one of the first times in my life where I didn't do that. Where I went to physical therapy twice a week. And I accepted the fact that I wasn't going to be able to do certain things for who knows how long. And that experience, I think, was really important because so many people just with 
COVID and the pandemic in general, we're going through experiences of grief and loss and we're not giving themselves permission to feel the sadness or to feel the anger or the frustration that they felt. And I got to show up very honestly and say, all of those things are okay. And in fact, they're completely normal right now. And if you don't give yourself space to feel those things, it's probably going to come out in other ways that you really don't want it to as irritability or reactivity or something that you're, you're not really going to want to show up that way in relationships or even for yourself. And so I did just learning how to do that um, and learning how to do that even more with the somatic therapist that I connected with in November, who has been such a gift. We, I see her every Saturday and she works on my, on my body, on my tissue. She works on my mind. She works on my soul. Like she's just been such, and I wouldn't have found her if the accident hadn't happened. Mm. Gosh, I, I, I want to spend a moment just to honor your friend, I think, because, um, had she not reached out to you, we don't know if someone else would have filled that gap. And and for me, the one thing that, that I heard was that, of course, there is a piece about accepting help. But I also think that that she was quite instrumental in kind of seeing that there was a space that needed to be filled. And she took the decision to do that. And I think that helped kind of quite strategically to give you and your husband then the space um, and especially for you that ability to be able to then say okay I don't need to worry about logistics I can just work, focus on what I need in order to be able to recover and so your friend is amazing yeah and here's the wild thing her name her name is Lynn Argan Bright. So she literally has the word bright in her last name. So I'm like, what a light just in inherently in who she is. It's in her name. <laughs> Absolutely. For real. And then the the other thing that I heard, and, and forgive the the kind of metaphor here, because because you spoke about um unmuting yourself. And what I heard is that sometimes we're all in situations where we feel muted, mm -hmm. but actually we don't have the ability to turn that mic on mm -hmm. and someone else needs to come along and either plug it in, kind of make it work, look at it and think, well, how does this thing turn on mm -hmm. and then help to um, make the mic work so that you can be unmuted. So it's not possible to do it all alone. Mm -mm. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's not just this matter of sheer will, or I just suddenly had this newfound confidence, or I just, it, it is with the, when we're in a space where people around us create safety, acceptance, love, and belonging, it's natural to be, to me, it's natural to be unmuted. But those are the conditions. We need certain conditions in place. Mm to be able to do that. And if we don't have those conditions in place, it can sometimes feel forced for people to say, like, I'm unmuting myself, their interpretation is, I'm just saying what I feel and, and I'm just saying what I think and I'm being blunt. And a friend of mine, Sam Karashi, who I absolutely adore and he's just a brilliant man. He lives in London and Saudi Arabia too, actually. He kind of splits yeah. his time between the two. And he said, blunt communication is lazy and irresponsible. And I was like, ooh. 
tell me more. Um, <laughs> Cause that's sometimes how people interpret what I say when I say unmuted, like, Oh, well I'll just say what I think. Well, no, if you saying what you think or feel <laughs> is essentially um, if it's unkind, if it doesn't consider and care for the people that are on the receiving end, and it's just done out of your own, I just need to get this off my chest. Mm. That's not, that's not responsible, you know? So how can we, and you know, this is, it's not an easy thing to do, but you know, how can we practice unmuting ourselves in places where we feel safe, where there's that sense of acceptance and how can we practice and fumble there where the stakes are low mm. so that we don't end up, you know, doing or saying things that we later regret just because, well, I just needed to say it. I just needed to get that out without mm -hmm. being, without taking responsibility for, for what you've said or what you've done. Mm. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. It really is. And, and I want to speak to Sam Qureshi and ask him if he'll come and just kind of like unpack some of this stuff in another episode of with Sayida and just kind of reflecting on what you've said so I'm, I, you took me to my 20s where I was just maybe not so good at some of this stuff. <laughs> and, and I would call it verbal diarrhea, where <laughs> something just comes to your mind and you're just like, you don't have that. kind. Well, I certainly didn't have that maturity or that ability to be able to think about, well, I've got something to say and I'm just going to throw it out there and not think about the consequences. Um, and thank God, I've done some learning on on that piece there. But there are times where still we feel triggered. And I, I know for me, I've got to just kind of like hold back and say, okay, I can feel this is going to come, but you have to pause. You have to find a moment and just not say anything. And so this this work that you're describing, I think there, there is a way of learning how to um, unmute yourself and really think about creating that safe space for other people where you can be yourself and show up in a particular way and also enable anyone else to do that too. And that's very much kind of um, the work that I'm doing at the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. And so everything that you were saying there really resonates with that. Mm. Um, I, I would like to ask, what's your advice for people where they're kind of in that space, they know that this is what they want to do. They, they, they kind of can feel the, the kind of visceral surge of emotions and they've got something to say, but they actually don't know how to, to unmute themselves. I mean, I guess a couple of things come to mind for me. Um, one is to maybe think about let me pause, and I want to be really thoughtful in my response to this. So one, I think I'm a big advocate of journaling because when it's a way to express ourselves mm -hmm. in sort of a safe and, um, I don't know, I'd say protected way. And something I've learned from a, a um, somebody who's just a really brilliant psychologist that I've learned from is to read your journal out loud to yourself. So we process what an experience we've documented differently when we simply write it and read it silently versus when we read it aloud. It's processed in a different part of our brain. And so, you know, I guess perhaps if you, if you have the luxury of time, right? So I guess two ways to think about this. If you do have the luxury of time, you're not 
put on the spot to have to make a response in that moment, um, to process it in a journal, to read aloud, aloud to yourself. Because if we were sometimes if we were to actually read aloud some things we write, we'd be like, oh gosh, I actually don't want to say that, <laughs> or that's not that's not really what I mean. Um, how might I how might I adjust that in some way? Not not be myself, but how might I adjust that in some way? So that the person, other person can hear it because the goal is right. If you're going to say something, if we're going to say something, it's because ideally we want the other person to be able to receive it. Mm. And so I think one of the questions we can ask ourselves is how might I say this in a way that this other person could receive? How might I modify and be aware of my tone? Because when we're talking, I remember learning this several years ago, there's a part of your brain, I might mess it up, called, like, I think, your superior temporal sulcus. And when we are talking, that, that's what helps us pick up on tone. And when we are speaking, that part of the brain is deactivated, and so we actually can't hear our own tone. So when someone says, I wasn't yelling, they might actually not realize that they were. Mm. <laughs> so... I think a lot of times it's helpful to recognize that we're not often even aware of our own tone and how we speak mm. and how it's then being received by somebody else. So one could be to just ask yourself, how might, how might I say this in a way that this other person can receive? Mm. Another thing I think that's really helpful and actually gives us a source of power is to ask a question because the person who asks the question actually has more power. And if you're looking to express yourself just to say what needs to be said kind of recklessly, I think what you're sort of after is a sense of feeling powerful, but you're not going to because you're going to put the other person in a defensive posture, and then you are likely to be defensive as well, and then no one's going to get anywhere. So I think two of the most helpful things are to pause and ask, right, how might I say this in a way that this other person can, the other person can receive, and how might I get curious and perhaps get more information because perhaps there's something I'm missing. Mm. So... I'm curious what what you would what you would suggest. Those are a couple mm. things that come to my mind, but I'm curious that, what you would suggest, Ada. Yeah, they're brilliant. I have to say, um, because I think it kind of it makes you pause and reflect and think about how you're going to structure your communication. Um, the 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 only kind of um, addition that I might have um, in this moment is to think about: Are they ready? Mm. Are they ready to receive? Because there have been times, for example, I mean, you know, in the recent past where I've wanted, and, and I'm not even just talking about verbal communication, even a WhatsApp message or an email or something, and I've delayed sending a message. I've written it out and I've thought, okay, if I send it now, it's going to crash their experience of whatever they're doing or derail them from an important meeting that's coming up or something. And I've sent it later because then I think it's it's considering what's the impact of what you're going to say in that particular moment um, and and uh, everything else about, you know, just packaging it and the communication. I love what you said about asking a question. And, um, and as you were speaking, I kind of opened up my WhatsApp because, uh, short story, yesterday uh, one of my kids decided to cook at about 11.30 at night, which is <laughs> fine because they're teenagers, What's not fine is when the kitchen door is open and you wake up with the smells of what they're making. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I had to really lean into that thing about don't get angry, say it, don't get angry, try and go back to sleep. And so, and they convinced me that they were going to eat it, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, this morning I wake up and I find out that the food is still in the container that it was cooked in. <laughs> 
So I took a picture of it and I sent it and I thought, you know, I can say something that's really quite angry, but I sent the picture and I just put like, I, I, I just like to hear what you've got to say about this. <laughs> Right. And just but but for me, I mean, I read it out loud now and I think, OK, there was a bit of judgment in there. But 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 that's kind of I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to hear the story. I wanted to understand before I kind of said all the other things about don't cook at 1130 and don't leave your food, etc. Because there could have been context that I didn't know. And yet leaning into that piece about just the long lecture that could come with that is just not helpful. No, it's, it's really not. And I think, gosh, how much would child parent relationships change if that were something that, I mean, it's not that it's easy, right? There's times where I'm sure we, you know, have moments where say something you do regret and you're like, I'm sorry. Um, But what you're bringing up for me is something I read about in um, Adam Grant's book, Think Again, Mm. which such, such a great book. And he talks about these ways that we have of responding, which are um, either the preacher, prosecutor, or politician, that we tend to get in this mode, right, of kind of telling somebody, tell them how it is, right? We, we preach we preach to people or we try to prosecute them and prove them wrong or we politicize and we just are Switzerland and we tell everybody what everybody wants to hear <laughs> and instead of being what you're doing, which is like at least some of this, a bit of a scientist, right? Like, um, I wonder what's going on here. Mm. Like you're approaching it with this intent to be genuinely curious, because to your point, there may be things that you did not know about how their day went, about why they hadn't eaten yet, about something they were dealing with, and maybe cooking was an outlet for them, or so many, so many things could be true. And we often just laser in on the whatever reality that we've decided is true. And we don't yep. ever get curious, and we don't ever explore, and we don't ever ask questions. And sometimes by us getting curious, we help other people to unmute themselves which they would not have done if they mm. had felt shamed and judged. Mm, that is so good. Like it, what you've just shared there is so, so powerful because in our response to how we um, address people and communicate with them, we give them the ability to unmute. That's just gold it really is and I have to say just a kind of like side note and disclaimer I'm not the perfect parent <laughs> there are oh, wow. times when I will just fly off the handle of but course. I'm a human being you know <laughs> I haven't met those perfect parents yet I, I I'm, I'm sure they um, do not exist and anyone that thinks they're somehow missing the boat by not being one just hasn't probably talked to enough people honestly I, I tell you the perfect parent the perfect parent is one that doesn't have a child <laughs> That's that was a joke, right? Like that was a all joke. the wisdom and insight, right? Well, here's what I would do, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the case. I'm. I mean, we're hoping to have um, children in the future, but yeah, I generally keep my mouth shut about all things parenting because I'm like, I have not been in that context, therefore, I don't really know what I would do if I were under those constraints and circumstances. I don't actually know. So, who am I to? tell people what they should do. I mean, gosh, how presumptuous. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so glad I cannot remember if I ever gave any parenting advice before I was a parent. And if I did, I'm really sorry to anyone. <laughs> um, I, just kind of uh, moving on a little bit. I, I would love to hear how you structure your day because you've got so much going on. You're a singer and you're a coach. You do lots of facilitation and and there's just so many um, pieces to the kind of rich portfolio that you've created for yourself. Mm. Uh, How do you do it all? 
Um, well, I've learned a couple of things. One, I've learned to ask to ask for help and to get help. And, and, um, cause for the first, I mean, I've been, I started my business two years ago and I did everything by myself, literally everything. Mm. And then, um, for the first year and a half, <laughs> I don't know how I did this. Um, in the midst of going through the accident in the midst of, you know, all of that, I was handling everything by myself, scheduling and outreach and creation of content and delivering of content and evaluations and, marketing. I mean, everything, I was doing everything. And I hired a coach in the fall of 2020. And what I realized very quickly as a result of hiring that coach said, you kind of got the sales thing down. It seems like you can, you don't really have a problem getting business. And so I thought to myself, well, that's kind of why I'm hiring you. And she did teach me certain things that were very helpful. But what I realized was like, oh no, no, no. I actually don't want to do some of these things. I just need to hire somebody to do this stuff that I actually just don't want to do and really shouldn't be spending my time doing. And so finally in February of 2021, so a year and a half after starting my business and trying to do everything by myself, I was like, I will not burn out again. I've been there, done that, you know, don't want to go back. <laughs> and so I hired a, a company to do a lot of my kind of more operational things and scheduling and proposals and contracts and, you know, just things, follow up and outreach and all that stuff that, and, you've got, and reports Stuff that I was like, Rachel, you don't need to be doing this. Like, this is not the best use of your time or skills. And so that was like a weight off of realizing that I, and she, they've asked me, they're like, how, how did you do all of this? I don't, I don't know. I just kind of probably just felt like I had no choice. Mm. And so I did, you know, so I just did it. Um, and then, you know, I'd say that's been like a really big shift for me is, is having that support. So I, I often, I'll be honest with you. I think people probably think I'm more disciplined and structured than I actually am. I would like to integrate more in the way of intentional practices. But um, a lot of the time, because every day, sure for you too, every day looks so different mm. um, that what I end up often doing in the morning is thinking about a reflection of what do I want to share on LinkedIn? <laughs> like what, whether it's a a reflective post about something or a poll question I want to ask somebody or a video that I want to share, or it's almost like my journaling. I feel like that's like my online journaling is, is LinkedIn. Um, and you know, then for me, I just kind of, I'd say I'm more of a, I'm, I'm more ruled by my calendar than I would like to be, as opposed to feeling like I'm more the one setting the, the tone and one of the things I realized, I took a 16-day vacation in July, which I had never oh. in my life done ever. And it was amazing. And one of the things I realized, I hired a business coach in June. So I did hire someone who like understands all the stuff that can help me reduce what he calls the emotional labor mm. of a lot of the things that I spend too much energy on, like pricing or whatever, right? Things like that. And he asked me like, what, what's something you're, what's something you're learning or kind of, what do you, what are you hoping to have more clarity around as a result of at the end of this trip? And I said, it's just about my need for margin because I felt like being away, I was not on, I was not performing as a speaker, singer, facilitator. Like you just feel like you're, you're performing to some extent when you're doing this work. And I love doing this work and to be on like that so often you can forget about the fact that you have value just as a presence. 
Absolutely. Among other people or that you could wake up in the morning and what do we feel like doing today? Let's go walk around the lake or let's go on a hike or, um, you know, let's walk down, let's go for a walk down the road and go to the river or whatever. Let's play a game or let's read a, lay on the couch and read a book. Just, I got reconnected to more of just a calmer, stiller pace that didn't require me to be so subject to like, okay, well, it's one o'clock now, so you have this, and then it's 1230, so you have this, and then it's three o'clock, so you have this. I just feel like I got to breathe. Mm. And I, even at the end of the trip, I felt a little bit of, I felt a bit of sadness coming up, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is this, what is this sadness that you're feeling? And part of it was as much as I can give myself permission to feel, there's, I, I sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm feeling, right? Feel every week in therapy. I'm learning how to do this more. But I still think there, it's just it's like peeling back the layers of an onion where there's just layers that sometimes when we finally pause, there's a layer that gets peeled off that in the midst of the busyness and the kind of frenetic pace that so many of us can exist in, that it's not until we're still for an extended period of time that I think we even feel safe enough internally to peel back that layer. Mm-hmm. And I was, I would just cry like the last two days. I'd almost just cry. Like, why can I stop crying? What is this about? And on our way back, I had this sense of, I was excited to come back to my familiar space. I was excited to sleep in my own bed. I was excited to just be in my own space again. And I was excited to do the work that I love. Like it made me realize how much, how energized I am. Cause I felt almost a little flat the last couple of days having conversations with the same four people, like my parents and my husband, um, and not having, not doing podcast conversations or not being on the phone and meeting somebody new or not doing a workshop and getting to see all the faces. I realized that I really appreciated the space that I had and I wouldn't have taken a day away from it. Mm. And I was really grateful that when I came back, I felt like, Oh my gosh, I love what I do. I was just this, I love what I, I'm so energized. I come so alive and what I get to do, and I'm so excited to do it, and I'm so grateful that I get to do it. And then the week after coming back, my husband and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary with a vow renewal, and I came out of that experience just reminded even more, even more fully of what matters, that like I was looking at this person, right, who I've known, been, well, been with for 15 years, who we've been through all kinds of ups and downs with each other, and I'm just looking in the eyes of this person who just loves me so fully and we're surrounded by an intimate group of family and friends who have some of who've seen our entire journey, some who've come in more recently. And I just felt this sense of peace and I felt this sense of contentment that I wasn't trying to be or do anything else. I, and we wrote our own vows and we're both like in tears and, you know, snotting and all this. <laughs> like it just... <laughs> And I woke up on Monday feeling even more so than when I got back from vacation, just feeling this sense of just feeling grounded and calm, which for me is often such a foreign feeling because I'm often, I'm often brought in as like the dynamic catalytic mm-hmm. energy. Right. And so for me to feel like calm and at peace was, it felt like such a, it felt like such a gift. And it was to me, I was thinking, how can I carry at least some of this forward? Mm-hmm. And I still feel some of it now, like even in this conversation, like I feel a sense of, I don't know, calmness in my, in my spirit that 
it's almost like, oh, hello, there you are. Like, where have you, where have you been <laughs> for years? <laughs> and it's a familiar, it's like a familiarity of something that I feel like has been unfamiliar. I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know if you've ever mm. had an experience like that. Gosh, that's just so powerful. And uh, I think, I, I think um, there's something really special about the, the number of days that you took off because you said 16 days, right? So my, I have no evidence for this, but my own experience is that when you take a week off, you kind of take one or two days to unwind and you're constantly counting down the days that you've got left for when the holiday ends. So you never really get to enjoy the week. When you've got two weeks, you're just about managed to unwind and then you start counting down the days left. (laughs) But I think there's something special about just taking more than two weeks off which gives you enough of that space in the middle to be able to then not have some of the kind of the the baggage is not the right word, but the um, the kind of essence of work mode still there. And you're not also then kind of bringing in some of the, the subconscious things about, oh my gosh, I've got this meeting coming up. And that space there, I think, is where you do the work that you described. And so then building on that and then having that wonderful opportunity to kind of renew your vows and and reconnect with your husband to me just sounds like it's been a huge gift for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like, it feels like almost like a month. I mean, (laughs) we left for vacation on July 16th and now as we're having this conversation, it's August 12th. I mean, so that really has been almost a month. And I think setting boundaries that work for you during that time is important. Like I do not check my work email. I have an out of office app. And even when I came back, my assistant who had been with, you know, for six months said to me, she said, honestly, I didn't really know how to take her. She's like, you're kind of a bit of a workaholic. And so I, I honestly did not really believe you when you said that you were not going to be checking email. I thought you're going to be in there every day. And I was like, no, no. One of the things one of the boundaries I've actually set very well, and I need to figure out how to re- how to replicate this in other areas, has always been with vacation. Like when I am on vacation, I check out. I am I am gone. I am off the grid. I mean, I I go on LinkedIn again, like things like that for me. That's an outlet for me that I that is life giving. Mm. I knew if I check one email, I'm gonna want to check another one. I'm gonna want to check another one. I want to check another one, and I'm not closing the hole in the ozone layer. And I'm not curing cancer. And it's not that my work isn't important, but chances are whatever question somebody has, either like Melissa can answer or it can wait until I come back. That sense of mm. know what needs to be done now. Some of that is so manufactured and everything was fine. There were a couple little hiccups, but at the end of the day, I don't regret for a second that I kept that I kept that boundary and that I honored myself and that need for space. Mm. So, so how did you create that boundary? Because it's something that, I mean, I, I struggle with it. Like if you say to me, in fact, last Friday, I took a day off and, and went to Covent Garden with my son. Mm. Of course, I checked my emails two or three times in that. And I really didn't want to. But and I know it's an addiction and all of those other things. We could have a separate side conversation <laughs> about that. Yeah. But I want to know, you created your boundaries so well. How did you do it? And what advice do you have? <laughs> Well, a couple of things. One, I was talking about this with clients like two months ago. Like I had clients that were looking at dates for workshops and they were like, how about late July? One, I blocked the time off in like March. 
I blocked the time in July off in March. I had a couple of speaking opportunities that came my way that were paid engagements that I said no to because I knew I could have justified and said, well, I could do that keynote. It's just on a Monday. And like, I, I could, no, Rachel, you're not going to be present on Sunday or Monday. And you might have a little bit of a presentation and performance hangover on Tuesday. So that takes out, that affects three days of your vacation. That is not fair mm-hmm. um, to, to you. It's not fair to your husband. It's not fair to anybody else you're going to spend time with. So one was I blocked it off really early. And I would just look at that calendar and say, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not available. Like I'm not available, right? And then I would say to clients, hey, I'm not going to be around. And they, they were even saying to me, wait, so when is your, when's your vacation? When are you going away again? And it just became this thing that they knew that like I had made it so clear that this is protected time. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, in my footer of my email about a week before I went away, I had a footer to just explain that I was, here's where I'm going to be. And if you need any help, contact Melissa. And then I was very explicit in my out of office to say, you know, let me see, actually, I could even tell you what I wrote. I could probably pull it up. Um, in terms of the message, like the out of office, the autoresponder that I used mm. um, to just communicate to people, to make it very clear that like, no, I'm really not checking this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, um, you know, I'll be out of the office beginning Friday, the 16th, returning on Tuesday, August 3rd for a much needed vacation and, and celebration of my 10th wedding anniversary. If you need assistance while I'm away, please email Melissa, right? Here's her email. She'll be happy to help. In the meantime, check out these resources to help you reset your mindset and support your health and well-being. Boom, boom, boom. A blog post or podcast episode and a video that I did um, with gratitude, Rachel. And then at the end, I just said, you know, here's an invitation. Think of someone who's been a bright spot to you in the past few weeks. Reach out to them today by text, call, or email, or other message to let them know you appreciate them. That's so good. I, I, I think a gift for our listeners will be if you can take that podcast and the video and the other and just put them, we'll put that in the show notes because I oh, don't sure. know what they are. Yeah. Um, and you know what's really fascinating about how you shared that and what I heard is when, when I was director in local government, you know, sometimes people within my team would come and they would say, I need a vacation and I'm taking and I want this time off between X and Y. And so, you know, you're thinking, can I fit it in? What about other people, et cetera? But the minute that's decided and it's on their holiday card and you've signed it off, that boundary is so protected that if you want to play with it, you're dealing with like trade unions and all of these other things. (laughs) And there's a piece in there about how essentially you said, I'm going to be on vacation in these times. And it was like, the manager, Rachel, came in when someone was saying, well, what about this? What about this? And you were like, I'm really sorry, this holiday is happening and it's been approved and there's not much we can do about it. <laughs> yes, it's been approved by me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just love it because it, it's, a, it's um, a clear message to us for how we can bring in boundaries. And so what, what I've learned and there's many places in my life I can apply this and perhaps this will help to answer how you can put boundaries in other areas of your life is, is there is a, and I write about this actually in, in the book results, the art and science of getting it done. There is a difference between CEO Sayada and kind of employee Sayada. And sometimes CEO Sayada has to say, you've got a holiday, take it off. Don't check your email, Mm -hmm. you know, and Applying that to other pieces of my life, I think, would be very, very powerful. 
So so thank you for helping me to unpack that. You're, you're welcome. Hopefully it helps anybody else who, again, this is coming, we're high performers, right? And we care a lot and achievement matters, but it's like we can't continue indefinitely with no meaningful breaks. Like we just, we're not machines. Mm, mm, absolutely. <laughs> um, I have a few other questions for you as yes. we wrap up. Um, so the first one is, um, what would your 16-year-old self, so 16-year-old Rachel, if she could see you now, what advice would she give to you? Um, 16-year-old Rachel. I mean, what she would say is she would say, she would say, wow. So she would say mm. that you've done all these things you were scared of. And so she would, she would look at me with, um, with wonder, like, how, how did you do that? <laughs> did you <laughs> overcome all these things you were scared of? And then she would say, um, let people in, just let, let people in, let people love you. You're not too much. You're not a burden. Receive, receive receive wow so good so good she's a very wise young lady (laughs) (laughs) um what are you reading listening and watching at the moment oh gosh i feel like 15 things at one time um (laughs) (laughs) reading i just finished reading um synchronicity Mm. With Joseph, Joseph Jaworski, really beautiful book. Um, I also, this is a more intimate book, but there's a book called Love Worth Making that I found out about from Alana Pratt, who's in the mm-hmm. community. She had interviewed um, Dr. Snyder on her show, and I was like, hmm, sounds like an interesting book. So I just finished that on my Kindle. Wow. Um, I think I have a book by Ann Patchett up next. I have to like, I have like three. I think I just put like five books in. <laughs> my Kindle to read. I forget what all of them are, but those are, those are two more recent ones. Um, I'm watching my husband and I love the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. We love Ted Lasso. He was a soccer player. Like I played soccer, but not, he played in college and he loves Jason Sudeikis. Oh, you and me both. Oh my gosh. That show is the, like everyone, I feel like everyone in the world should watch that show. Like it is just it's just a so beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful show. I met an American um, a week ago that had not heard of Ted Lasso. And I was like, where have you been? Because <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I go, all I'm doing is raving about it. And there are some people that haven't heard of it here. But every time I speak to somebody from the US about it, they're all like, yeah, we love Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's just, yes, yeah, what a show. What's your favorite bit so far? Oh, gosh. I mean, just like his little comments, like when we talk about like not liking tea, like it looks like brown water and like and that's exactly what it tastes like or just like his, his little his little. Um, oh, I loved. Oh, I'll tell you what scene I loved the dart, the dart scene with Rupert. Oh, yeah. Where yeah he just yeah. put him in his place. Like be curious, not judgmental. Like that was his phrase in that in that bit was be curious, not judgmental. So it actually connects to what we're talking about today, right? Be curious, not judgmental. But that scene was such like a mic drop scene. I mean, I 
I feel like I'm going to go back and watch it actually tonight mm-hmm. with my husband because that that episode was so excellent and that scene was so well done. I just um it's so funny because I've never felt like giving a standing ovation to an TV <laughs> program. <laughs> and I resonated so much with that scene. Uh, literally, I was clapping my hands. It was so good. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes because it's outstanding. Yeah, it really was so good. So, and then, I don't know, listening. I mean, I always listen to Unlocking Us by Brene Brown or Dare to Lead. Um, and then for fun, I love listening to the Office Ladies podcast and the Brian Baumgartner. Um, it's like an Office Revisited or all these interviews he has with the characters. That was that was like our favorite show. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our favorite shows, Ted Lasso, is you know cre- creeping up there. So I sort of do that for my own entertainment and amusement, or I don't mm-hmm. feel like everything you listen to and everything you read must somehow be intellectually stimulating. No, it could just be entertaining and fun, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've struck a really, really important and fine balance there because if you do focus too much on the learning side, man, life is just so dull. But having those bits that give you entertainment really kind of enrich all the other stuff that you do too. Um, Now, now, as we were kind of preparing for this, I did say that I might ask you to sing something given that you're (laughs) a singer. So I wonder if if for a a moment or two we can benefit in listening to some of your incredible talent yeah I'd be happy to there's a song that I love um I used to sing this song a lot growing up so I would put these giant headphones on and stand in my family room and shut all the doors because I thought if nobody else could hear me I put the volume up loud enough nobody else could hear me then you know I wasn't actually singing I don't know what it was I had this perception that I couldn't hear myself then I just assumed nobody else could hear me Mm. which is absurd (laughs) But it gave me the safety to feel like I could sing the way that I wanted to. So the song is by um, Desiree, and I really love this song. Mm. And I love the message in it, and I think it connects to what we're talking about today. So it's called Gotta Be. So here we go. Listen as your day unfolds, challenge what the future holds, try and keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears. Stand up and be counted. Don't be ashamed to cry. You gotta be, you gotta be bad. You gotta be bold. You gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard. You gotta be tough. You gotta be stronger. You gotta be cool. You gotta be calm. You gotta stay together. All I know, all I know, love save the day. There we go. There's a snippet. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. And love will save the day. I can testify to that. (laughs) Um, One final question. What advice do you have for me? Oh, goodness. I would say to trust that whenever you, because every time I've heard you say anything in a group setting, in a one-on-one conversation, to trust that you are a very prominent vessel and voice of wisdom and insight. Because whenever I and I know so many other people see you with your hand raised about to contribute, it's like get your pens out because we know that you're going to say something really meaningful and thoughtful and even profound. So I would say, trust that about yourself. Wow. 
like that's not where I thought you were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't scripted. No, that's just what I really feel. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to spend some time unpacking that because I think that there are some really important messages in there for me. And I, and I kind of, I'm a bit speechless. I don't really know how to respond, but, but thank you. That's, that's very helpful advice. Um, I know that, and, and I hope that everyone who is listening to this is going to want to get in touch with you, Rachel. So what is the best way for people to find out about your work and about you and just kind of reach out? Yeah, I'd say it's so my website is unmutedlife.com. So that's a great place to get connected. I'm most active on social platforms on LinkedIn. So send a message. We always, I know both of us always like to know how someone found out about, you know, this conversation. So let us know if you listen to this and we'd love to, you know, connect with you on there. And then I'm also on Instagram at unmutedlife um, and occasionally on Clubhouse at unmutedlife. So, um, you know. That's that's where you can find me. Awesome. And we'll put the links to all of those in the show notes as well. Rachel, honestly, like I had no idea we were going to have such a rich, meaningful conversation. I mean, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much for sharing, for unmuting and for really encouraging other people to do the same. Thank you. This was an honor and I can't wait to hear how other people are affected by our conversation. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.